2: I am the wizard man
3: and I'm talking to my co-host Go on and try and record me if you're able. Don't you see that I am sitting at a table? Because this is a representative of major themes that we've been hinting at throughout 54 episodes. And this Jake. is a dynamic musical number. And you are going to hear my song and thunder. You are about to cry when you're sitting and watching this. Because this is literally the only representation of queer identities in the entire canon of modern mainstream cable animation. Oh, oh, yep. oh, oh. oh, oh. Uh, 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 Jake, let's uh, fuse. Let's we fuse.
2: By fuse. I mean, have sex with each other, but that's not, not exactly. It's not
3: necessarily. It a, you can it's have a It's not
2: necessarily. Si- yeah, you I could know,
3: have a, a. You know, Smoky Quartz is more of a sibling uh, fidelity fusion. <laughs> Stephanie is like one of friendship and soul ness, and then oh, I also love. sometimes, yes, it's about sex. <laughs>
2: Stephanie, is that the correct pronunciation? I love, I love, I love, and I love that episode where they first fuse. There, it's Jake, Jake, it's time for the gush, and this is a gush that happens in real time. I had not really had any exposure to this series before this whole this time. Episode coming up, this whole time, nothing. I totally m- missed me. I I had Adventure Time mm-hmm. stuff, but. Never Steven Universe, but I, it's always just that show that I heard people passionately talking about. I knew a fan base existed and a fan base that had a true, absolute, endearing love for the franchise all the way through, too. Through and through. No stopping it. Just the whole thing. I remember when, and this is so recent, I mean, this, uh, what this March 2020 was the final, 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 at least up to now, episode of steven universe with the limited series uh future yeah future and i saw people posting being like it's finally actually over this and just talking about how amazing the experience was how incredible uh how how incredible this series was and how important it was in their life like something more than just man that was a funny ass show that i could always come home to like more than that right that, that it had a deeper meaning in people's lives and for sure, that is the case with uh, with this show and, and me now. It has infected me. I think, like, now you're going to sit down and watch all these. I uh, have just taken a lovely joyride through different episodes of this series. And as a person who maybe didn't used to love musicals, but now, like, really super loves musicals, especially when the songs are really heartfelt and well-placed within the context of the dramatic events of the show... This show just just picked me up and never let me go. Every single recommended episode that I watched had something going on. And not always the tearjerker. It wasn't always the Jurassic Bark. It was, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it was, I love how they seeded those throughout. Very much like Adventure Time, where you'd have some lofty, silly episodes mixed with these really heartfelt, beautiful episodes. Also talking about things that are so relevant. Also groundbreaking or breaking ground, rather, for so many different uh, people that are marginalized um, talking about things that are important for those kids especially that feel like outcasts and feel like outsiders as they grow up. And this thing so wonderfully handled it and not in a way that was like, I'm going to prove a point to all you people out there. It was like very much a genuine, honest effort to speak about these issues, not in a preachy way in a in a human way, and I just absolutely am in love with this series at this point.
3: So one of the things that like I always had trouble articulating, but the re- the effect that you're describing, the idea that they're talking about these like different things that aren't normally addressed in a way that doesn't seem like calculated or preachy, which you know uh, if, you're, if you if you if it's it's worth preaching, I'll just say that. But the uh, the thing is. This is an action animated show that was born from a unique, not a unique, from an actually very common perspective, just Mm -hmm. a a unique perspective within the world of like mainstream animation. Yeah. In the context of, yeah, for sure. And from that one simple thing that this wasn't just like uh, specifically aiming to target the whims and wishes of like suburban white male children. Mm hmm. From that one little seed of just like, oh, we're just going to base this on a whole range of experiences and not try and, like, signal we're selling, uh, you know, action figures, we're trying to yes. sell breakfast cereals. Yes. That One decision to just make this for everybody, to just make mm-hmm. as much cool shit on screen as possible, to throw... Joy Spaghetti at the Wall, whatever it, whether it was Broadway musicals or anime or cheesy 80s cartoons or comic so books. So much or, anime.
2: I love it. I love the anime injection into this show.
3: But the the concrete decision to never indicate to any group of people that this show is either not for you or is specifically for you. Mm just mm-hmm. dr- explodes the entire possibilities of the thing.
2: That's the great thing that it does. It it it, it Rebecca Sugar, th- the creator of this franchise, this show, throws out the norms so well and so perfectly makes a show that is absolutely for everybody especially gender-wise. And I love how it is to, you know, watching this show I'm like, "Man, this is totally a show I would have liked growing up, but it features a cast of strong female characters. It absolutely, absolutely has, has. It's, it's
3: it, that's it's even that's like because they're not saying these are strong female characters. They're just right. saying these are characters that are kind of or at least just by making the gems like default. But the default isn't necessarily masculine is already. Yeah. That without, so like, great. that's Without preaching, without making a million different concrete decisions, just that one like seemingly small shift. Drastically alters the entire trajectory of what the show ends up talking For sure. about, which is
2: insane. Well, and also just having these maternal figures there, having having uh, Stephen's powers come from his mother, not his father. All these sorts of things are, and it's not like thrown in your face and it's not like see what we did here it's all very just interwoven into the show as if i don't know jake maybe this this is normal (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) and that we can get rid of these uh bullshitty you know uh old approaches of doing things and have a show that is just for honestly genuinely feels like it's for everybody for absolutely everybody the the kid who's into into superhero stuff, the the um you know the kid who's into like anime, the kid who's into Sci-fi. family drama, the kid yeah just the kid who's into slice of life and 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 it's just gender totally thrown out the window and we just have a show that just feels like everybody can sit down and watch and age thrown out the window and this is nothing new I mean we've seen this Pixar yada 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 but really genuinely enjoyed by me, a man in his late 30s sitting... I mean, I I did extra innings on this one. I mean, I was throwing this on during my downtime when I totally did not need to be watching it. I mean, that's how much I was enjoying the show. It just really brought me in.
3: Another thing that makes... uh, I I cannot stress enough that, you know, I I got a vague feeling of it when it was first started to air that it's like, oh, they're doing Fusion that's just straight out of Dragon Ball. They're doing... Uh, it's totally the, Dragon Ball. The Crystal <laughs> Gems are this insane hybrid of both, like, Sailor Moon, you know, mm-hmm. uh, M- 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 Madoka Magica, S- Magical Girls, but also, like, kind of chintzy, she Rainbow Bright 80s characters. Yeah. And it's because Rebecca Sugar is in her 30s. Uh, you know, her partner, Ian Jones Quarterly, is in, they're in their 30s. This is millennial fucking crack. This yes. is every little Straight piece on. of pop culture it's drawing in everything from the legend you know Nintendo games to one piece to uh collectible like toys to even ice cream even uh good humor bars like it's a pastiche of a specific childhood literally for well for me at least coastal suburban 80s 90s childhood all uh-huh. mushed together into this wonderful stew that i just found like a pure dopamine rush
2: but at the same time a very focused driven plot with great character development and the character development sticks and the plots are, are incredibly well thought through and the arcs are incredibly well thought through so it's not just this nostalgia explosion they actually do something with it i really am just so impressed with this show i'm so excited to sit down and go through the entire thing with lexi it's all on hulu by the way which is fantastic so catch it there if you haven't already why don't we give them an overview if they haven't actually watched it really quick before we get in
3: who is watching this and doesn't know what
0: me
2: me i had no idea i had no idea what this show was about so i'm that's why i'm doing this It is an animated TV series created by Rebecca Sugar for Cartoon Network that tells the coming of age story of a young boy named Steven Universe who lives with the Crystal Gems, a group of magical humanoid aliens in the fictional town of Beach City, where he has adventures with friends and helps the gems protect the world from their own kind. So you sort of have bigger, more magical story stuff going on, big fights and things like that. Very anime, But you also have these slice of life episodes that are just day to day life in in Beach City. Uh, It ran from May 2013 to January 2019 and for five seasons with a limited series after that ending in 2020 and also a movie that ends the whole thing before the limited series. And we'll get into that. We'll talk about it. Shall we start with Rebecca Sugar? Are you ready to go? Uh, Yeah, let's talk about this this uh, creator. And I think we should note, I didn't catch all of it. I, I, fi- I, I, am like, I have gone way deep on the research this week, but uh, you sent me a really good, all. it's called All Access with Rebecca mm-hmm. Sugar. It's on YouTube. It is an hour-long interview that breaks everything down. As Jake put it to me, it essentially just did all of our work for <laughs> us. Go check out that interview to get a real true vibe of Rebecca Sugar. She just seems like a fantastic human being. Raised in Silver Spring, Maryland, she was drawing a lot at an early age, Rebecca Sugar said i feel like when you're a kid everybody draws everybody wants to draw drawing is fun everyone who is working in cartoons now drew a lot when they were kids but at some point when you're growing up someone tells you this is not something you can actually do for a living or this is not actually a good drawing and you just stop or you just keep going because you push ahead and you're delusional and you think you can really do it well apparently that's what she did she was also drawn pun intended to cartoons but not the ones made for her Sugar said, I felt a huge amount of guilt for liking cartoons for boys. I'd never really been able to connect to cartoons that were supposed to be for girls. She also talked about in that interview, I believe, her father's passion for cartoons. They had a lot. She even had Looney Tunes episodes on Laserdisc just to to time stamp this part of her life. This
3: (laughs) aspect of her life cannot be understated because it definitely kind of Set up how she was going to be the one to break through a lot of the uh, ceilings for production and animation because her dad, Rob Sugar, was not just like into cartoons. He was an animation nerd who fully mm-hmm. imprinted that love onto his children, uh, Rebecca and her brother, Stephen Sugar. And um, that is no coincidence, by the way. We will talk about that very soon. Constantly showing uh, laser discs and VHSs of not just Looney Tunes, but like the Fleischer Brothers, Superman cartoons, Popeye, Betty Boop. Uh, had books, tons of art books with behind the scenes footage, uh, books by uh, Tex Avery and Chuck Jones. You know, so from the beginning, she is being given a love of animation as an art form and being shown that these are things made by concrete people. These are, you know, that this is a career, this is a craft, and this is it's something... Such magic. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not just, you know, something you put on to shut up the kids. He is imprinting a love for an art form and showing her that this is, this is something that people can do for a living. Uh, not only that, but he is also, as part of his graphic design, he has an immense home creative com- digital setup. Yeah. So, There's so many reams of early digital works by the sugar children, you know, on kid pics and stuff like that, which makes her a very early uh, Internet citizen. You know, there's just reams and reams of old Rebecca Sugar posts that have been unearthed on like archive.org. Stuff like web comics, blogs, fan fiction um, and fan art. Uh, She was an active member of the Internet community. And it's kind of maybe, I guess... The first one across the line to kind of translate the uh, late 90s, early 2000s internet fandom into a show of her own. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what made this show so internet savvy and so popular online. Uh, Her mother, Ellen Sugar, was a dancer. And even though Rebecca was not uh, gifted (laughs) coordinationally wise, she spent many hours drawing dancers and looking at uh, figure drawing books and really gaining to uh, learning to appreciate just kind of pose and, uh, translating dance into 2d art forms, which really speaks to how, uh, dancing is a key part of fusion in the series.
2: Uh Uh-huh. For sure. And, uh, how music is a key part of Mm -hmm. Steven universe as well. I love her songwriting instincts. I think they're fantastic. I think that was my, maybe my favorite thing of the every time a song would start in an episode which at every episode doesn't have a song she purposely did that every time a song happens i would get almost like excited to hear it like cuz I, I just was always just loved the music in that show every time it had popped up well, but anyways she
3: ta- she's spoken about how it kind of brings it back to the history of animation cuz again she was raised yes. on looney tunes and merry melodies and you don't think of it this way but a lot of those cartoons had songs built into it because there were deals being made with songwriting books, which was a massive source of revenue for the music industry back in the day. You know, if a song made it into a hit cartoon, it was almost more of a vehicle to sell the song more so than just, you know, whatever film reels were shown before a movie at a theater.
2: Right, right. And so
3: by making music such a key part of Steven Universe, she was actually kind of bringing back an old tradition and not just kind of... Mm -hmm. It's not like indulgently just doodling around to like add her own music to the show. It was music and animation in her mind are almost inseparable.
2: Also, it's important to note that growing up, her parents took her to various beach towns in Delaware, and that, of course, will be the inspiration for Beach Town, or Beach City, rather, uh, in Steven Universe. Uh,
3: It's very clearly... It's almost... (laughs) not only in producing the show, they actually had a, uh, they did, they took visits to Ocean City, Maryland and had a live 24 seven webcam that they found on the internet of Ocean City, Maryland. So Mm. they could use it for reference. Um, The state, the fictional state, because the world of Steven universe takes place in a alternate earth where there's 39 States of America. Everything's a little bit wonky. The state that that beach city takes place in is the state of Delmarva, which is literally just Delaware, Maryland, Virginia smushed together.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. Oh,
3: also, uh, I'm reading, a lot of my facts are coming from the Steven Universe Art and Origins book, Mm. and Rebecca Sugar admits that it took them way too long to come up with the name Beach City for the set.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would love to see a list of all the other ones before they landed on straight up just Beach City. Uh, So, She is going to a lot of school, man. If you know what you want to do from an early age, you are hitting school hard. She's going to both Montgomery Blair High School and the Visual Arts Center at Albert Einstein High School at the same time. She talked about how she would, uh, and it was literally like she was carpooling with one other person. They would go, what, during lunch, was it again? Or they would carpool directly to and from each school, that's got to be insane. Also, while she's at this art center, she's getting into like a bunch of fights with her teacher about the importance of cartooning and uh, because he believed so strongly in fine arts, which I thought was great. I mean, just shows you what kind of a person she was from an early age that she was willing to get in like long debates with a teacher like that. I wasn't that kind of student, definitely.
3: There is not a single artist I currently admire of my generational cohort who doesn't have horror stories of having screaming fights with their art instructors over whether or not you can draw anime as a living and that, you know, (laughs) cartooning was just a dead end.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's that is exactly the environment she's growing up. And of course, later they would add a cartooning department and she felt very vindicated uh, at the uh, and she also she's winning awards. She was an art semifinalist at the Presidential Scholar Competition. And won a big visual arts award um, as well at the Visual Arts Center. Sugar said, I didn't have a huge circle of friends at school. I was really introverted. And he, he, speaking of her brother, Steven Sugar, was always there to be my best friend when I came home. And I didn't realize until later that having someone who really understood me made a world of difference in my life. And a lot of that had to do with the with maybe not feeling understood by anyone else. And so, beach towns brother being the main friend for her in her life while just arduously studying cartooning and art is all going to add up to what becomes Steven Universe.
3: Side anecdote, a friend of the show, Nathan Yaffe, who was the guest on our World of Warcraft episode and member of the Giraffe team. I forget which episode of Giraffe it was, but he actually went into how he went to high school in Maryland and he was doing a cartoon for the school paper and he was constantly being told... That it was pretty good, but man, have you seen Rebecca Sugar's stuff? She just graduated. You should be more like her.
2: At that school, she drew a lot of comics called uh, for a uh, comic strip called The Strip in her school's newspaper. She wins first place for comics in the newspaper individual writing and editing contest from based on her work there. And she ends up going after high school to the School of Visual Arts in New York. And this is where she directs short animated films such as Johnny Noodle Neck, which is about a boy with a very noodle-like neck, ...who gets sold to another man in a hot air balloon, and you can find that on uh, YouTube, and uh, she credits her brother, Steven Sugar, is contributing a lot to the coloring of that, also, I love this, definitely check this out, if you're fascinated by Steven Universe, definitely check out her short called Singles, I had to watch it a couple of times, just because the mechanic of it is so fascinating... It's essentially a man with a version of himself, with with a mirrored version of himself in his chest, or his stomach, rather, if that makes any sense. Probably not. You just kind of have to watch it. And you really see her coming into her own in terms of her personal art approach. It's got these very... How would you describe it, Jake? It's like these very wiggly lines, these very, like, curvy,
3: distorted lines when it comes to human figure creating. At some point, she settles on a very distinctive art style that's kind of based on these... Very organic, almost uh, clay-like, supple and anatomy. Uh, all of her figures are very, like, lumpy and kind of uh, yeah. more detailed than what you would think in a standard animation thing. Uh, they have a lot of, like, uh, density and weight to them. And her facial expressions are incredibly evocative. Like, the face is almost completely... Moldable. You can see each and every muscle in the face, kind of contort. It's like a clay figure. Yeah, it's like clay. It's like Clay Fighter. She's also torn at this point while she's at SVA because she's actually getting more traction in the world of indie comics. You can find stuff like uh, Pug Davis, which was this sci-fi black and white show that, or sorry, comic series about a, without giving too much away, a former NASA employee who is grafted. (laughs) With the head of a pug and a robot body on adventures. <laughs> Don't forget the gay sidekick. Uh, gay blouse. sidekick. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is so I'm not not casting aspersions, but like even Rebecca Sugar, even the most like elevated avatar of like how to do creative work in an inclusive and woke way. Uh just constantly dropping the F slur <laughs> in a lot of these <laughs> comics. Hey, this is
2: back in the... It was the 2000s. It was the 2000s. It was the 2000s. Anything goes.
3: Everyone's capable of growth.
2: Cocaine flowed like very, like, Carla Rossi wine. You know what I mean? It was just unbelievable back then.
3: She's actually making a lot of connections between the comics world and her work at SVA. Ian Jones, quarterly, uh, her partner and one of the producers on Steven Universe was one of her TAs in her first year class, and they end up... Uh, hooking up together and... Oh, right, yeah. I, I meant to mention, too,
2: that the... Stru- uh, or, I'm sorry, that Singles, ha- again, has Steven Sugar assisting in coloring, but you also see a credit for Ian Jones Quarterly, who is credited as assistant animator and assistant inker. And uh, he also does the voice of the protagonist there. So, yes, the team is forming.
3: Also, this, I honestly... If you are a fan of our show, if you are down with what we've been throwing down... And you have not read uh, her short comic story "Don't Cry for Me, I'm Already Dead." So good, dude! It is heart wrenching, specifically for nerds of our specific age. It is about two lifelong friends who deal with tragedy by quoting Simpsons at each
2: other, and it is—it's like so well done. I've had to take a moment, and it's—you can find it online everywhere. She released it. And it's you know it's on Imager or whatever, and it's just a fantastic short little like almost like Junji Ito length, uh, but very different in tone uh, uh, comic strip. It's it's really really gut wrenching.
3: So she finishes her student film and she's kind of just thrust into the job market in 2009, which is a terrible like again this this is I feel so much, I feel so I feel like in the in the life story of Rebecca Sugar. I would have been like a background extra because I was also hanging around at the small press expo in Bethesda <laughs> trying to hand out shitty Xeroxed comics. I was also an animation nerd and I know all the names of like Blick Studios where she was interning. And I right. also knew what it was like to have no job prospects because the 2008 financial crisis just kicked everyone's ass. Mm-hmm. But this whole time she's making connections and she's... Coming together with a lot of people and somewhere along the line, she actually bumps into uh, Phil Renda, who uh, had recently gotten a job as a character designer on the new show Adventure Time, which we've covered Adventure Time. Uh, You know, Cartoon Network was doing a lot of daring things with the Marvelous Adventures of Flapjack and a lot of talent from there had gotten the chance to do their own show. And she handed him a pile of her comics And when it was time to uh, hire for Adventure Time, he sent her the form to do a storyboard test, which is uh, basically like a spec script or spec jokes for a writing job. You're given a short prompt and you have to storyboard out a sequence and send it in. And uh, because the show Adventure Time which again also like Steven Universe is a storyboard based show. Yes. uh, It's not like a writer who is just doing this as a shitty gig to, you know, on freelance, just is like, and then Megatron gr- grabs the orb and says, I will conquer the universe. The The story is evolved visually as well as, uh, as a plot wise. So the artist is the writer. The writer is the artist. Uh, you know, the stories are created more like comics than like a script that then has to be animated. She submits it and She gets a job not as a full time storyboard artist, but as a storyboard revisionist, which is, you know, an entry level position that uh, is, you know, it's just about like adding quick annotations and adjusting timing and keyframes on other people's storyboards. But she actually is very
2: happy to have that sort of a role right up top because she had no experience in a real deal TV on a real deal TV show like this. So. She is happy to have this this side gig, essentially, so that she can watch and learn as much as humanly possible. But her work is very impressive to Pendleton Ward and crew. So she re- pretty quickly gets bumped up to storyboard artist. And her first storyboard gig was the episode. It came from the Nidosphere, uh, which is centered around Marceline, the vampire queen, and is the first episode of season two. This episode also features the "Fry" song by Sugar herself, which became very popular with fans. Sugar said about this, I love this anecdote. I I think this is really, really fascinating. Music was a hobby that I didn't share to anybody, just my brother and my closest friends. I would write little songs, and they were really silly, and... They were all about drawing comics. They weren't sophisticated songs. I didn't think about doing that in any sort of professional circumstances. And then there have been songs in Adventure Time before, and I love musicals. And I was really excited for the chance of trying that. Actually, when I think of musicals, I think about big showy numbers. And if you try to do that, it's really intimidating. But Penn, referring to Pendleton Ward, was like... If you're gonna make the song think it's a small intimate thing for these characters, there's a much lower pressure, which is how I actually play music with my friends. The Fry song, I wrote the lyrics, but Penn added the part of the French fries. It was a, <laughs> that's a big. It was part. a back and forth. That's a big part. It was a
3: back and forth process, and. I really love that. I love Actually, the idea. Uh, that- Mary, can you play a little bit of yes. the Daddy, Why Did You Take My Fries? Because this was a big turning point in her career. Yeah, it's great.
1: Daddy, why did you eat my fries? I bought them and they were mine. But you ate them. Yeah, you ate my fries. And I
0: cried,
3: but you didn't see me cry. Daddy, do you even love me? Well, I wish you'd show it Because
1: I wouldn't know it What kind of daddy his daughter's fries? Doesn't look her in the eyes Daddy, there were tears there If you saw them, would you even care?
2: Yeah, and that choice is so much stronger than uh, what she was initially going to do, which is going to be this big showy, I mean, even kind of think, uh, see my vest or something like that on from the Simpsons, right? Like, or, or monorail is going to be this big showy moment, show tune moment. And Pendleton said, bring it down, which not only defined adventure time, but also would go on to define a lot of what Steven universe would do with their music. And that approach is so much more, I think actually effective when it comes to certain handling, certain story elements and character elements. And uh, uh, it really was such an important turning point.
0: go to snhu.edu today to start your free application
1: the legends are true but overwhelming power the sauce of destiny yes
2: pendleton ward said about rebecca sugar rebecca is so caring and empathetic with her characters she respects them and isn't cynical with how she writes for them which makes her characters more real more genuine which i think lets her audience fall deeply into the world that she's creating and i think that is strongly evidenced by marceline the vampire queen who she talked about really did remind her of herself in so many ways and that is so well conveyed i think marceline the vampire queen and the music of adventure time was one of the very first things, and the vulnerability of the Frost King, did I say it right? The, the Ice King? King. The Ice King. That was the really what drew me into that show in the first place, and I think she had a lot to do with all of that.
3: As more and more Marceline episodes and more and more songs and kind of the, the humanity and vulnerability that Rebecca Sugar was bringing to the show kind of stood out in fan reactions, she gained a very quick reputation Uh, Among the very online animation fans They almost It's almost like they recognize that like Ooh, one of us has gotten into the gates Yeah And so based on that response uh, Curtis Lelash Who is uh, one of the great uh, Almost a Fred Siebert level guy He's currently over at Netflix But he's very much credited as one of the people That ushered in the Cartoon Network renaissance Along with, you know, regular show and all that just casually came up and said, like, hey, uh, we'd like it if you pitched us something, which is a much more involved process than, uh, you know, it's set out to be. First, you have to get the pilot approved, then the pilot has to go through revisions. There's a whole... You know, it's not as simple as, like, hey, kid, I'm offering you a show. It's literally like, hey, let's get this process started. Mm -hmm. And so she just had an explosion of creativity off that prompt. There is... In the art book, there is... Pages and pages and pages of mythology and notes and character ideas and sketches and all of these things that she wanted to include in this series. Like from the get-go, the complicated nature of the gem uh, mythology, fusions, all of these things, the fashion, the aesthetics. She wanted to make something that was unlike anything else that she had seen on children's TV, specifically adventure kind of uh mainstream action-adventure shows.
2: Yeah, she also based a lot of her early ideas on a short story she wrote called Ballad of Margot and Dread about a sensitive child helping teens with problems they could not verbalize, which, again, was definitely a novel-sounding premise at the time.
3: Uh, She says that the relationship between Stephen and the Gems are... Less less of a mother-child uh, relationship and more based on the individual kind of modes of how she interacted with her uh, little brother. Uh, you know, Amethyst is like the impulsive kind of bad influence older uh-huh. sister. Pearl is the overprotective kind of scolding older sister. And Garnet is the wise, cool, you know, teen older sister. Yeah. And how Steven kind of helps brighten up their lives and how they kind of guide him was very much kind of where it started going. One of the things that I love is one of the notes on the show uh, in in her sketchbooks while she's still just trying to like form these ideas is that Steve is like naive, but he's never the fool. He's like, uh, you know, he's quippy, like but that. he doesn't have like a Bart Simpson attitude. Like uh-huh. already she's just trying to deconstruct a lot of the things that make a protagonist in a male focused adventure show just like something different something a little bit more image, uh, i'm sorry a little bit more emotionally mature
2: well that what you literally just described is exactly what why i love that character so yeah. that's so great that that was like such an early choice so she she takes an art presentation to to the cartoon network execs and the show is greenlit which
3: makes okay. well wait, hold on mm-hmm. um when making the pilot uh she already had the idea to do something sublime, which is, it's kind of a brilliant quote. Uh, She says that, actually, Reed Failer of our sister show, um, The Story Must Be Told, when he heard we were doing a Steven Universe episode, sent me this exact quote, beautiful art is something that is frameable, that you can hang on a wall and completely understand immediately. It's very pleasing. Sublime art, however makes you feel that there's something outside of what you're seeing that potentially has more importance and power than what you can even imagine at that moment. It's upsetting and even scary to know that you're only being shown a small fraction of something larger, that you're being denied. But also, it's a different type of beauty that helps you understand your own failings, your own inability as a person to understand the fullness of what's going on. To me, that relates so much more to actual life than simply a beautiful piece of art, That was part of the goal with the pilot, as well as the whole series, to know that there is so much more that you can't see, and the way that knowledge can frustrate and excite and confuse and scare you all at the same time. Love it. Beautiful. Love it.
2: So, uh, yeah, so she she gets the show greenlit. This makes Sugar the first woman to create a show independently for the network, though I should be noted that years later she came out as non-binary, though I also should be noted she still uses she, her pronouns. They, regardless, uh, she at this point, it's around this time she resigns from Adventure Time. Working on both shows just becomes too much and ends up focusing on Steven Universe. The pilot short is centered around the main characters and their personalities, but it's in a slice of, li- slice of life way and also focuses on the humor, but without any of those major defining world events. That it becomes so well known for later. This is like a te- almost like a vibe test. They a make a concrete
3: test. decision to kind of do an in media res, uh, a quote unquote vertical slice, so you can tell that there's way more mystical muju juju happening in the background, but the actual plot is Stephen with the use of a what is basically a time tuner from Harry Potter uh, helps defeat a spooky alien artifact known as an electric skull. Uh, And saves the gems. Once the show was greenlit, quote unquote, there was actually a ton of work that had to be done. The quote unquote Mm -hmm. crew universe had to be assembled. And this is kind of an amazing like bringing the team together because among the many people, uh, her partner, Ian Jones Corley, was brought in. Character designer, Danny Hines, is brought in who kind of smoothed out the more lumpy. Uh, iconic Rebecca Sugar style to what we kind of now know as the Steven Universe style—a very smooth, this highly
2: simplified yeah. style based on like the works of Cezanne, like this mm-hmm. incredibly unfocused, broad style that that uh, that that really was simplified in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of television shows do this—they they attempt to take whatever it start they started with and simplify it enough so that. Production crews can really get in there and make choices and do things, and it's really easy to just add your ideas to it and keep going because the, the the basics are so simple. Rebecca also uh, said she... she I realized while working on the show that it's not what I thought it was going to be about. It's about how much I needed emotional support in high school. Just with little things going through tough times, high school teen angst, my brother would just be hanging out with me, not having to say anything. If I ever felt weird around friends, Stephen would always be there. I felt that would never change. Of course, Stephen is uh, the background, one of the,
3: or, or he's head of backgrounds, right? Yeah, he was basically in charge of the world building, especially of the Beach City side of things. An art director named Kevin Dart came on board, who really uh, made a lasting impact on the color and lighting style, as well as the focus on the geometric shapes for the gem world technology and settings. Ian and Rebecca actually kind of built this little artist colony before, uh, as they were kind of putting together the show, uh, affectionately called The Cabin, uh, as the different artists that they had hired, many of whom uh, Rebecca had known from her years at SVA. Artists were brought in. They would stay with them. Uh, You know, she'd make a big pot of spaghetti while Steven was playing Ocarina of Time on the TV. (laughs) And people were just juggling ideas and really trying to like, just kind of freestyle. Rebecca had to actively kind of hold a lot of her world building closer to her chest and kind of deny them a lot of the planning she had done because she wanted the world to emerge more organically and collectively. Uh, Also at the cabin was a fat orange Maine Coon cat who had Mm -hmm. to come with the house. Uh, They uh, affectionately named it lion. I
2: was about to say that (laughs) has to be the inspiration for lion. Then Uh, lion
3: did not care about anyone or anything. (laughs) Did you mention uh, Ben Levin and
2: Matt Burnett yet? Nope. Ben Levin and Matt Burnett were actually early choices for Sugar. Sugar was actually got a list of suggested writers from Cartoon Network, and she remembered Ben Levin and Matt Burnett's work on the live-action show Level Up about teens in high school who open a portal from a video game world, or from a video game world, which spills into the real world. I've never seen Level Up, but I guess she appreciated their work on that and brought them in. You also have, I believe you mentioned Danny Hines, right? Yes, Mm -hmm. the lead character designer. And, and uh, yeah, Sugar, we are seeing Sugar here. They, she gets married to Ian Jones quarterly years later. But she spoke of working with her partner in this way. It wouldn't matter regardless. I would want to work with him because I've been such a fan of his work since we first met and I became aware of his animation. He's such a good animator and I think so much about the way we talk and connect because we're both so, so obsessed with cartoons. It's part of our, de- our identities and we really have totally opposite approaches to it. And what she means by that is that she is like, the harder I work, the better it's going to be. The more intensely I work, the better it's going to be. And he is very much uh, coming from the angle of if you work too hard, you're going to ruin the, the you're going to take away the fun of this thing. And the fun won't seep through. And so they find that balance with each other in terms of in terms of work
3: approach. So with this new crew, they actually have to line up a special, like a final, final pitch meeting where they're showcasing the new character designs, the new background designs, which have uh, a more kind of, gen- I'll just say, genuinely beautiful watercolor aesthetic. The new songs, the new uh, monster designs, the new full cast of all the quote-unquote boardies of Beach City, which uh, it was. I never realized it, but it's. I feel dumb, but so many of them are food-based. You have the Fryman family. You have uh, sour cream and onion. You have well, that's the pizza Dragon Ball. It's Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Because, of course, if you haven't caught our Dragon Ball Z episode, every character name in that, Frieza is a freezer, Mm. uh, yada, 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 they're all, like, Japanese words for food. So, of course, of course they would pull
3: that. Uh, It was actually Ian who said the inspiration for the cast of Beach City was the Akira Toriyama series, uh, Dr. Slump. Yes. And he wanted to kind of maintain that homey, small-town feeling throughout the show, which is kind of ironic because... Uh, if you look at a list of, like, the audience decided best episodes, they're all, like, lore bombs. They're all just, uh-huh. like, giant, dramatic, you know, big songs, big reveals, big twists. Just, like, people truly love the mythology and the drama. And if you look at the fan unfavorite ones, they're all, besides the Uncle Grandpa crossover, which I'm just not going to they, they had to do an Uncle Grandpa crossover, one of the most uh, maligned shows in the Cartoon <laughs> Network canon. They just uh, make jokes about how the show, how that episode isn't canon. <laughs> the Ronaldo episodes, the Onion episodes, the Mayor Dewey episodes, all the, the Ocean City kind of side stories are the ones that the audiences are like, eh, I could leave it. But it was really <laughs> important to the show that yeah. the gem stuff is balanced with the human stuff, specifically to because yeah, Stephen is half it. human. Uh, Another thing which uh, the story editors were, you know, almost their main jobs was even on the seemingly inconsequential episodes, they do a little bit of lore drop, a little bit of character development. Everything that makes those like big Wowie zow finale episodes so powerful is because as an audience member, you know exactly what led up to that moment. And um, without those kind of smaller episodes, you wouldn't have the same impact, you know. uh, if sure. you have, if you, uh, when Peridot is fighting corrupted gems in the kindergarten, you know, all these things are happening that require so much foreknowledge to understand the impact of, it's necessary detours, is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. Well, also, if you're doing a big lore drop every single episode, then it's not special. But if you have all of these other slice of life, more down to earth things, going, episodes, then you earn that, that, you know, excitement, that. That thrilling episode every now and again.
3: But all that hard work, all that collaboration, all of, uh, you know, bringing together this unique team and letting them flex their muscles paid off because Cartoon Network uh, agreed to greenlight the show for a full season with this bold new art style and this bold new direction. And in order to celebrate that, uh, they then released the old pilot, which is completely different than what Mm -hmm. they had now put together. Mm -hmm. And, um, unfortunately people loved it. People were excited (laughs) for this now wrong, uh, completely outdated version of the show. And it was so controversial when they started releasing the promo art of the show as it actually existed that people were outraged. This was the first Steven Universe fan outrage was that the show that all these people were going to learn to love looked cheap, looked like Flash animation. Rebecca Sugar had sold out like all of these things (laughs) because the show now looks different than what they had been exposed to. Right. To the point where um, the "quote unquote" pilot versions of those characters are constantly get brought back up. Fans will do redraws of certain scenes with mm-hmm. the pilot designs. It's kind of this like weird alternate dimension, the show that could have been if it was just the pilot. It's kind of interesting.
2: That is fascinating. Yeah, and they were definitely freaked out by how much everybody liked it because of all the work they did. Ben Levin, when it comes to the writing, let's get into the writing for a bit. Ben Levin compared to writing a season of Steven Universe to a jigsaw puzzle, which I completely understand after watching a bunch of the show. (laughs) As they would pull together plot ideas, they had to always keep an eye on if the ideas led to character growth. And once they pulled together a set of proposed ideas, they then work on a major story arc and season finale that looks more towards the big picture. So, So plot ideas based on character growth that pushes towards that larger arc. Which is interesting. It feels like almost the opposite order of things from what I would think, which is start with the big arc, start with what the finale is going to be, and then go from there. Writer Matt Burnett likens it more to an algebraic equation where, quote, one side is the season finale, and the X's and Y's are the episodes we need for that solution to make sense. The team would play creative games to come up with new ideas. And if you listen to our Adventure Time episode, this is the same, like clearly so much of the same approach. They would, I believe, they did this exact game in the creative room in Adventure Time. Uh, a, they would, they would create a scenario with characters drawn on a piece of paper, which is then passed to a second writer who adds a few sentences, then passes it to a third writer until this image has a three X story to accompany it. And there's oh, and yes, and we've already talked about how there's definitely a mix up of the happy fun episodes with the more emotionally. Compelling episodes as well A big focus on that and a big focus on Balancing Steven's human side and the gym side so all of that has to come Into consideration for Writing a season of Steven Universe
3: If you're ever watching an episode and you think Like a weird element kind of came out of the blue Or you know just just a giant Left field twist in what Was a seemingly straightforward episode Chances are that was inspired by One of those exquisite corpse writing exercises Yeah the episode Uh, Future Boys Zoltron in which Steven Universe kind of inhabits a fortune telling machine and then oh uh, one of my drapes just fell cut that out The episode that future- it, I love it. <laughs> it's very bright. It's very bright in Jake's room right now. All of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the idea that Steven gets uh, trapped in a fortune telling machine only to help uh, Mr. Smiley reconnect with his whole uh, stand up comedy duo buddy that is definitely born out of these disparate paragraphs written by different writers, all kind of mushed together into a single plot. Things like uh, Rebecca Sugar just having a random idea that like, oh, I think it'd be fun if Stephen got on a boat <laughs> and like then they'd have to figure out how to work that into it. Another key thing in the writing process was uh, they were adamant about making sure that everything is told from Stephen's perspective. Yes. That uh, if we're having a flashback to something where Steven wasn't there, it was because he was being told this story for the first time or... Uh, If, you know, Yellow Diamond is, you know, making a maniacal plot, she's not just going to be off on her own like Mr. Burns on The Simpsons, like monologuing. She's, you know, if Steven leaves the room, we don't see what she's up to. And that was a huge struggle for the team, which, again, another huge thing that this show does right is the way that Steven learns about the adults in his life and slowly learns about their flaws and their weaknesses and also their strengths. Gradually having to glean the details, you know, the same way that you learn about your own parents, because this story is from Stevens. And mm-hmm. it also helps that uh, and like Stephen, st- <laughs> <like laughs> we're foisted into this complex millennia long uh, story arc, this intergalactic war of rebellion and redemption right alongside with him. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, the, the art book li- said that they cannot show it for spoiler purposes but there was this giant, sprawling uh, chart that Rebecca Sugar had yes. made of the chronology of the history of Gemworld. And you can see just a tiny little bit of it. And it's just covered in post-it notes and different colored marker scribblings with random lines drawn everywhere. But that was not what the, you know, that wasn't the core of the show. Mm-mm. The You know, it's everything has to be done organically through Steven's perspective.
2: Another thing I really appreciated reading about some of the positive criticisms of the show was that so many times when it's a coming of age story or a story about a kid on the verge of growing up, the arc is the kid growing up. Whereas in this show, no, it was that a kid can still stay a kid and learn things and be things as a kid. And it's not about them getting to the ne- next step of adulthood. It's about them just uh, developing as a child, which I thought was fantastic and so different from the way a lot of people handle those things.
3: And a lot of the things that the show is known for emerged like kind of naturally. Like, yeah, fusion was a part of uh, Rebecca's initial idea for the show. You know, the uh, just a fun Dragon Ball mechanic, a great toyetic kind of thing. It, it's definitely born from... Uh, you know, her past playing video games and watching anime, but the idea of really fleshing out that it's an analogy for relationships, the, you know, it's it's almost fan fiction. Like, it's, here's this dumb premise from Dragon Ball Z that was just about raising uh-huh. your power level and then making it a completely in-depth analogy to consent, to honesty, to uh, relationships. Hell, they even had in uh, the, one of the characters was through a very convoluted series of sci-fi uh, tropes was just kind of a, a tacit uh, contemplation on polyamory <laughs> like you right. know there's yeah all
2: yeah uh, sugar said about creating the non uh, binary stevani which is the fusion of steven and his best friend connie one of the things that excited me early on, especially about Stevani, was that I just wanted to do it and have it be beautiful. I had never seen that. I had seen things like this where it had been played as a joke or some kind of problem. But especially with Stevani, I wanted to create a character so great that everyone who sees them thinks, this person is great. And yeah, it's not just some like, oh my god, what are we going to do? This is horrible situation. We have to become you know, back to our our normal genders. And I thought that was a really cool take.
3: One of the things the show does amazingly well is uh, you're watching, you know, the show starts as like a normal kind of uh, fun romp. And then out of like, by the time the episode is over, you're just kind of shook in your chair, just being like, holy shit, did they really just like talk about that? Like, did yeah. this Um, I'm thinking specifically of when they introduced Sardonyx, the fusion of Pearl and Garnet. And how Pearl just kind of um, starts fabulating scenarios for them to fuse because she just liked herself better when they were together. And Garnet, you know, just has to tell her out and be like, that was a horrifying breach of trust. You can't just like, you know, manipulate someone into staying with you and, you know, just kind of contemplating toxic relationships in that way. And I was just kind of like the episode ends. I'm just like. Holy sh... This is a children's cartoon.
2: My version of that is Mindful Education. Oh, my God. I love that episode so much. That song is so beautiful. It brought me to tears. Like, I just... I was like, did they really just, within the parameters of a short song in an animated show, not only address conflict resolution, true conflict resolution in a relationship, and what that takes on an emotional level, as well as having done something that you feel ashamed about and grappling with that as a human being and being okay with that.
3: Basic meditation for kids just literally because kids do feel anxiety. Kids feel guilt. Kids feel shame. These are not just lessons that adults need and they just fucking went for it. And it really wasn't like, you know, this is, and this isn't PBS. This isn't the ad council. Like just Rebecca sugar one day was like, Hey, um, I, I think it was Levin or one of the other writers is like I know you're doing this meditation thing and I've been feeling overwhelmed and I've been doing it too and it's like really helpful and neat is there any way we can do a sh- like an episode about it right. and they just made so it work good.
1: Uh, so Mary, good Mary I'm
3: sorry can you if you could play uh, just a chunk of the Here Comes a Thought song it's just it's just so great please
0: take a moment remind yourself to take a moment and find yourself take a moment to ask yourself it this is how we fall apart. But it's not, but it's not, but it's not, but it's not, but it's not. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You've got nothing, got nothing, got nothing, got nothing to fear. I'm
3: here, I'm here, I'm here. It also helps when you have Estelle uh, yes. doing... And we'll talk about
2: cast just a second. I want to I talk about their basic process and, uh, and talk about the cast and things like that. Get a little more technical for a second.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: always am so fascinated at the process, especially of animation shows and, and the like. So the episode outlines that we discussed previously are then passed to the storyboarders to, who create the action and write the dialogue. Artists draw their ideas on post-it notes, which are attached to walls, tables, and boxes in the corner of their office. I mean, everywhere. Sugar comes around and looks at them and gives them notes and so that they can make changes. Usually, it's two artists per storyboard, and they each write half the dialogue and draw half the panels, and it looks very much like a comic strip. This is presented to the rest of the crew for a team discussion for notes, after which they go and make a revised board on a full-size panel with notes, which get noted once more, and then hopefully a final approval after that. Backgrounds then get produced after the storyboards are approved. Steven Sugar likes to hide little narrative details in the backgrounds. Also, I love this. He really likes if they're revisiting an old location to change it in some way, to show Mm -hmm. that it is aged in some way or changed somehow, because time does that. Uh, They also uh they used initially superimposed watercolor textures at first, which you can see in those early episodes, before they finally switched to Photoshop, because the watercolor led to such a chunky look. The watercolor is absolutely gorgeous in those early episodes. Once the episode is complete in a storyboard sense, it is sent off to Korea and more uh, uh, specifically to Suman Image Pictures. And you've heard this one before Rough Draft Korea. Suman was, uh, was founded in 1990 by Art Plus, and their first animation work was for Disney on the TV show Gargoyles. Yes, I'm sure we'll do a Gargoyles episode, you gargoyles freaks. All right, we'll do one, okay? Stop yelling at me for it. Their first uh, work for Cartoon Network was on the Ben 10 franchi- franchise. Rough Draft, we have talked about multiple times. Most recently on the Futurama episode, they were established by animators working on the Ren and Stimpy show in LA. If you want more of a detailed history, listen to our Ren and Stimpy episode, listen to our Futurama episode. Animation director, Nick
3: DiMaio. And our Invader Zim episode. Or
2: Invader Zim, everything. Rough Draft Korea, every
3: always. Uh, I didn't mention this before, but I have to throw, it out there because it's it just blew my mind that uh, Rebecca Sugar was a huge Invader Zim fan. The character of Paradox yeah. is clearly influenced by Zim, and she even as a teenager drew a comic where she loved copying Jan and John and Vasquez's John Vasquez's style. Uh, it's a lot of her early teen work that you can only find on scrubbed you know blogspot posts uh, are. <laughs> Very much mimicking him. And she recounts a story where she actually bumped into him in an elevator and was like, oh my God, are you John Vasquez? And he was like, "Mm mm-hmm. And she just hated herself for blowing her opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Listening
0: to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.
1: The legends are true. overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go!
0: I participating in
3: McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So there's a few steps because... One of the things this show does very, very well is because they care so much about the story they're telling, they produce a highly, highly, highly detailed animatic. You know, they bring in all the assets, they send it over digitally, and the timing of each expression, each thing is created in a digital animatic with the audio recorded from the voice cast with the music beats. It's basically... A almost near finished episode just without, you know, the inks, the color and the final uh, in between poses down to the point where individual frames will have handwritten notes on it. And it's all assembled digitally. You could watch these animatics and have almost the same effect as watching the final product because they want to make sure that the animators overseas really nail what they want. And uh, in previous generations, You know, just fuck it. Send it to Korea. And if it looks funny, it looks funny. Who cares? It's a kid's cartoon. Mm -hmm. And so that level of collaboration, making sure that unique poses have their own notes, that unique outfits have their own notes. They give extensive, detailed materials for these animators to work with. Reminds me
2: of the Mike Judge document from our King of the Hill episode.
3: Oh, absolutely. uh, So many rules. There are so many rules on how to draw each character, where the nose line meets, where the eye lines meet. Weirdly enough, Sugar also makes sure that there is a lot of expression in these characters. Uh, As long as, you know, I saw a thing on YouTube where people were getting mad at this series for like going, quote unquote, off model too much. But Hmm. the designs are so strong. Everyone has a strong silhouette. Everyone looks unique next to each other that, you know, you're allowed to actually play with proportions. You're allowed to play with uh, anatomy if it means selling the emotion you want to sell. Um, My favorite thing is that they're distance models. Uh, If you've ever played the Steven Universe game, Attack the Light and how everyone has these like kind of cute chibi versions. Those are based on special uh, character models for when characters are far away so that they don't distract from things that are closer up. (laughs) That's funny.
2: Uh, And that animatic and everything is led by animation director Nick DeMaio. The animation is drawn and inked on paper, then scanned and colored digitally. Then they have a back and forth to fix errors, and that's about it for the process. There you go, the cast. Briefly, we'll go through these guys. Uh, it won't take too long because for most of them, it was their very first <laughs> ever thing that they did, in an animation voiceover. Zach Callison voices Steve Steven, and this is his first lead role on TV. Before this, he did a handful of live action and animated Disney shows. It seems they pulled a lot of talent from Disney television stuff. Garnet is voiced by Estelle, an English singer, songwriter, rapper, record producer, and actress who was killing it before this. You'll
3: be my American boy. Yeah, single American boy. boy
2: became a huge hit in the UK, and this was her first voice uh, acting gig ever, But but definitely pulled in for her singing abilities. Her music, even before this, influenced Sugar's approach to the music on the show. For Michaela Dietz's voice of Amethyst, it was her first VO role in animation. However, she had been voicing the character Riff... On the show Barney and Friends since 2007, <laughs> that was the yellow one, the yellow dinosaur.
3: Then you, t- this is late Barney. This is not canon yeah, Barney. This is
2: this is like totally off the books Barney. This
3: is non-union Barney.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like weird, coked at, like punk scene Barney. I don't even know what's going on in those episodes where he starts just saying like singing songs about lighting things on fire and how fun it is to get mom and dad to fight. I love those songs. D D. Their marriage
3: Mac- is a sham. Their marriage is a sham. <laughs> yeah, Be I love it. He just destructor. repeats it over and over again. <laughs> Just for an entire thirty minutes. God, remember how much you wanted to kill Barney when you were in oh. a t- a twelve Why years old. Why did I old?
2: care so much? Why did because I because so you're much not a baby Barney? and
3: Barney is for babies and I'm not a fucking. Ba- I'll rip his goddamn dick off. I hate Barney.
2: There was an internet comic uh, called Space Moose that I loved to love. <laughs> I, <because, laughs> I love Space
3: Moose too. Because do, because do was not look so it up. It is dirty. dirty. Don't look yeah. it up. It's so
2: inappropriate. It Does not hold up. It is so problematic. <laughs>
3: <laughs> loved it. But,
2: but there was I'm, a color. And I'm sure
3: Rebecca Sugar loved it too. <laughs>
2: yeah. There was a color cartoon strip that was Barney and Grimace duking it out, like in this
3: bloody fight.
2: They like rip each other apart. It's like super violent. I printed that out and taped it to the inside of my locker. A little fun fact about me. DD Magno Hall started out in the Disney Channel's pop group, The Party, comprised of all members of the Mickey Mouse Club in the early 90s. She did some Broadway stuff. She's known for her music.
3: Depending on how old you are, the fact that, uh, depending on your specific age and uh, upbringing, the fact that the singer from Disney's The Party is the voice of Pearl is a mind blower. It wasn't for <laughs> me, but when right. Marie found out, she was like, holy shit! <laughs> I also like God how she turned into, like, damn a it. it's me, weird, Jake's yeah, she fiance. turned into, like, Marie.
2: a weird, like, uh, uh 50s businessman. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! Uh, anyway, Sugar was a fan of Tom Sharpling's radio show, The Best Show with Tom Sharpling. We are no strangers to that show, of course. Again,
3: prime 2000s internet
2: yes, kid. Yes, 100%. And had him in mind for a project before this one. Therefore, she hit him up to play Steven's father. Greg Universe, he kills it as Greg. It's so such an emotionally visceral... Part. It's so well. She was
3: smart enough to not um, call the character Tom Universe as she originally intended because that would have been weird.
2: (laughs) Voice of the Ruby Gems was done by comedian Charlene Yee uh, and she started out in Judd Apatow's film Knocked Up.
3: Oh, there's tons of like tons of comedians on this. um, Yeah. Yeah, Charlene Yee is Ruby. Brian Posehn is uh, Sour Cream. Mm-hmm. Sinbad plays Mr. Smiley. That's awesome. Kate Micucci mm. plays Sadie.
2: That makes sense with music stuff for sure. Billy
3: Merritt plays Mr. Fryman. Natasha Leone smel- uh, plays Smokey Quartz. Nice. The comedian Godfrey is Kofi, one of the the uh, pizza people. Nice. Oh, and uh, uh, Parnananchala plays uh, Nephrite. Or yeah.
2: Nice. To round out the cast, Grace Rolick plays Steven's friend Connie, who was 16 years old when the series began. However, she did start voice acting and animation at the age of six. So, the main force, which is Steven and the gyms, record three to four hours per session over the course of three to four weeks a month for ten months each year. Sugar and voice director Kent Osborne... Attend these sessions for notes Rebecca Sugar loves to attend these sessions Apparently because uh, The silly voices that the actors have to make In order to convey different emotions and things
3: Um, The Diamonds are all played By basically Broadway royalty White Diamond is played by Christine Ebersole Uh, Yellow Mm -hmm. Diamond is played by Patti LuPone Um, And again uh, when we were watching this show Years ago and Marie heard the voice Of Yellow Diamond she is a massive theater fan and she was like, "Holy God, fucking damn it! Is that Patty fucking Lapone?" Uh, absolutely, I remember that.
2: And then she she punched her thighs for so long, the, the her entire legs turned blue.
3: Oh, she shattered the old fashioned that was in her hand, <laughs> and put out her giant comical cigar on my arm. <laughs>
2: So let's talk about the music. The songs and musical numbers are produced by Sugar and her writing team. The extended theme song was composed by Rebecca Sugar while waiting in line for a security check at the LA International Airport. That's because she always brings the ukulele with her and a ton of the music apparently is written while she's traveling around going to cons and things like that. Both Estelle and Amy Mann are cited by Sugar as a big influence on her music in the show. The songs on the show are composed by the electronic duo Ivy and Surashu. Uh, who got together on a sound that combines piano and tune, And their first big project was called The Black Box, which featured several video game covers, including Lonely Rolling Star by Katamari Damacy. And that makes so much sense. Video games, I don't think we've talked about that enough, is such a big influence on the show. Ian Jones Quarterly and Rebecca Sugar love gaming. The staff loves it. There's a ton of video game influence, not just in the music, but in you know different plot points and things like that, as mu- as much as Dragon Ball and other anime stuff is.
3: In that interview, she tried to kind of say she tried to communicate the feelings that she had while trying to create Steven Universe, and it was basically based on watching her brother play Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. The idea that even though she is following uh, her brother playing a young boy's adventure, she was still a hundred percent drawn into it, and kind of like Link. Steven is this innocent warrior who is, has to like step up to save a world from a greater conflict that he really had no inkling he was a part of up until uh, late in the game. Mm-hmm. Another thing that Ivy and Shirashu did is they gave every character their own kind of instrument set and leitmotifs. Called, yeah,
2: leitmotif. Uh, Pearl is uh, piano, garnet is synth bass. Amethyst is Drum Machine, and Steven is Chiptune
3: Tones. They even go deep enough to kind of like try and draw lines between the characters. For example, uh, Amethyst is based on drums, and because she is also a quartz-based warrior-class gem, Jasper is based on a more like grungy, electric, kind of twerked uh, drum sound, that linking the two characters together. Uh, My favorite motif that I saw, or musical palette, as it's described in the art book, is ruby is uh, her instrument is a square wave because uh, they're square-haired.
2: Well, and and th- another thing that we, we skipped that I keep uh, trying to think if I want to go back and mention was... That they were very strongly influenced by uh, the the teacher Wassily Kandinsky, who taught at the Bauhaus. Oh no, House. you gotta
3: talk about it. it's you got go Kandinsky, do it, yeah. do the Kandinsky so, thing. S-
2: essentially, he al- would always have his students pair three colors with three basic shapes, which is how you get square for garnet, spherical for amethyst, and cone shaped for pearl. So of course, they would also have music tone. As, or musical instrument paired with each of them as well. It's just a very focused, easy, like qu- like solid way to solidify each character. And in, in, yeah, in, in well, the it, it makes mind.
3: sense. Uh, Amethyst is the is the rounder character, and she is more easygoing, flowing, but a little unsteady. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garnet is the bass. She's her instrument is the bass, mm-hmm. and. Um, She's She's a square because she's rock steady. She's the foundation for the group. And Pearl is kind of uh, the more direct and pointed. And, you know, she's a cone, basically. Uh, Mm -hmm. It even got so far as uh, in the art book, they tried to make Stephen's base shape a heart because it is a combination of a sphere, a cone, and a cube Uh, all together, uh if you think about it. I love it. The use of star imagery, is kind of a uh, Rebecca loves it because it can either be positive and fun like the star on Steven's shirt or it can represent the power and scariness of the cosmos like it does for the gems like mm. there's there was just a ton of you know a ton of consideration a young creative diverse cast all throwing just their dopamine spaghetti at the walls and just like trying to make everything they love all fit into this one plot line. And they nail it. And they nail it. It's kind of amazing.
2: So at first, the show got 26 11-minute episodes ordered for the first season. But on November 14th, they expanded it to another 26-episode order, of course, existing each uh, each. Episode is like 11 minutes long, so it's like 13 and thirty. either way. The show is then picked up for a second and third season with 52 episodes each, uh, which in 2016 was switched up so that they got a little more breathing room, and those were broken up into seasons again, so they were actually made into uh, four seasons each with 26 episodes after finding out Cartoon Network is going to cancel Steven Universe after the fifth season Sugar manages to get three extra half hours to wrap up the story as well as a follow-up film and during those meetings they also greenlit a 20 episode sequel series which would be that future Steven Universe
3: without getting too much into it uh, I know Steven Universe future is a little bit uh, controversial a lot of fans aren't Responding to it as much as uh, usual but the core premise that they just like actually deal with the same way that the show dealt with so many other issues deals with Stevens like in a way PTSD the idea that his person, I love it his personal
2: trauma and his inability to you know his need to fix everyone around him all their problems and his inability to accomplish that it's a smaller lens It's a smaller, more intimate thing, but I think that's fantastic. I love that they had that approach to the follow up.
3: If they can, yeah, just, and the idea that it spent so many episodes just so Steven could ask for help, like for a lot of people that struggle with uh, different things, you know, it can, it's that much of a process to finally admit to those close to you that you're hurting.
2: I will, going back to the run of the show. There were definitely some frustrations with Cartoon Network because I think it was all just to get them trending on social media. They would release episodes in chunks called Stephen Bombs and it would make fans insane because they were just like, just, can we just get a regular steady drip of this instead of just playing with our emotions? Like we never know when the next bunch of episodes are going to drop and then we're left wanting more and with nothing to come for weeks.
3: And yet the length of the hiatuses would be all over the place from just like a couple of days to months on end with like no <laughs> real communication or warning. Another yeah. thing that really pissed people off is if you were watching, like if you weren't, this was the height of, you know torrenting and streaming i mean the height of illegal streaming uh the people that were pirating the shows wouldn't get spoiled while the people who were watching on tv would just like have a massive cliffhanger happen and then on the in the next 5 minutes get a teaser promo for the next episode that completely gave up the ghost <laughs>
2: Yeah, they had to They had to actually issue a, an apology at one point. Cartoon Network did. And Ian Jones Quarterly had a since-deleted tweet that essentially said, to be a Steven Universe fan is to suffer. <laughs> it's like, Cartoon Network just kept fucking with them. So hard. Uh, after the series ran, you have the movie, of course. A musical, this film is, with songs written by Rebecca Sugar and features artists such as Chance the Rapper, Gallant, Macy Stewart, Ted Leo, Amy Mann, and others. It takes place after the events of the series finale, as the crystal gems attempt to save all organic life on Earth from a deranged gem who has a history with Steven's mother. And uh, got gra- by the way, all of this has like a one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I, I
3: didn't. I watched the movie for the first time uh, this week doing research, and I did. I, it was a little weird. It, it was filled with like some core moments, but I. You know, if you just needed a victory lap to spend more time with these characters, I understand. Uh-huh. But a few things felt off for me. The the main uh, villain, who's this, like, clear homage to old-timey animation, uh, Fleischer Brothers kind of ball-and-tube style animation. It doesn't quite adapt well to their production schedule. So, like, it's it, she just feels out of place. Like, she's not... She doesn't fit in with the universe as is, but they can't pull off that full, like bendy constantly moving like alien old-timey animation Mm. it's very weird although there was apparently a big kerfuffle with this uh cartoon network executives because the you know this character does some horrendous things to our characters and in the end steven and her just kind of hash out that it sucks to be hurt and that you can still change and do better
2: So wanted to wrap up before I get to I definitely want to talk about the gender and LGBT uh, themes throughout the show that to close it out. But before I do, I just wanted to talk about a few of my personal favorite episodes uh, briefly, because honestly, just go watch them. I'm not going to do it justice describing it. The first one and these a lot of these are very obvious ones. But whatever. The first one being Lion 3 straight to video. It has a huge moment at the end that's got a great emotional impact. It is very, it's just such a creative, phenomenal episode that opens up, sheds some light on Steven's relationship with his since-deceased mother. Sworn to the Sword is another great emotional episode with a great music, a great song in it that's all about Pearl's relationship with Steven's mother in a lot of ways and her need to protect her mother and having failed to do that in a certain, to a certain degree. I uh, just for a good one-off that's not the big emotions type thing. I loved Steven and the Stevens. That's episode one uh, or season one, episode 22. And essentially it uses the time travel mechanic to, for Steven to form a band of all Stevens. The music in it is fantastic. It's just a funny, fun sci fi episode that I really enjoyed. If you want to watch that Stevani episode I was referring to earlier, that I had the quote from Rebecca Sugar for, that was Alone Together, a huge monumental episode in the series, season one, episode 37. Mindful Education, you can find in season four, episode four. Uh, and then uh, to round it out, of course, the classic everyone knows it, everyone loves it. Who's a fan of the show? The answer, season two, episode twenty-two, which deals with the relationship of the two characters who form Garnet and their relationship definitely deals with same-sex Ruby relationships in a certain way. Thank you, and uh, is very fantastic. Just, just again, a, a lot of, and a lot of these episodes have a really bi- cool build. You don't see it coming. And then it addresses this really important emotional thing with a song that just perfectly frames it and and addresses it, and then like a solid ending, yeah. Uh,
3: ones that I really loved are Mr. Greg, which was the full musical episode where uh, Stephen's dad gets a windfall and they go to a fancy hotel in Empire City and has just good old classic Hollywood uh, musical numbers along with some great ennui to go along with it. Um, Another one I really liked is uh, Keeping It Together, which was kind of had this body horror kind of theme running Mm -hmm. through it that really kind of um, blows up the world and kind of the scariness of what they're involved with. A great one-off episode is Last One Out of Beach City, which is a Pearl-centered episode. And it kind of has this whole uh, feeling of a classic, like, Teen coming of age like it's uh, Amethyst Pearl and Steven going to a rock show there's so many that I, I want to talk about because each one really there's has there's so many
2: it's I cut a bunch off of that like I just wanted to give a few I mean just start from the beginning it's absolutely fantastic the episodes are 11 minutes each and I do think you need to watch some of the less emotionally impactful episodes to earn those moments.
3: Oh, bubble! Bubble is another amazing one. That's like almost a bottle episode because it's fucking crazy. Hell yeah!
2: So one of the big things that I so I mentioned earlier the big episode, the answer, which is season two, episode twenty two, and has to do with the nature of Ruby and Sapphire's relationship. And Sugar had this to say about getting this over. Uh, with the ne- network executives. It's the hill you're willing to die on. My hill was Ruby and Sapphire. I would compromise on a lot of details, but I would never compromise on love. And that kept me very focused through everything in general. It's the nature of the job. When you care about something, you have to fight for it. And in season five, she's finally able to fight for and get a the very first gay marriage to happen in an animated series, especially one for children. Sugar said, I was pitching this back in 2016. It's been a very long road. It really goes all the way back to 2011. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I think this is Steven Universe Future this happens in. No, no. Reunited
3: is the wedding episode. Reunited is the
2: wedding. Oh, okay, cool. And that's in season five.
3: This is one of the amazing things is Cartoon Network executives sit her down and say, like, listen, we support you. We know you're trying to do this, but we're an international company. And... It's true in countries like Indonesia and Thailand and all over the world. There's still places where gay relationships are considered an adult relationship. The idea is that like there's no such thing as a queer child, which uh, according to Rebecca, like, you know, Rebecca just says herself like in my own experience as a bisexual non-binary person. I know that's not true. Yeah, yeah. By the way, the 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 sheer just gumption to just come out publicly as a bisexual at a panel at the 2016 uh, Comic-Con is like, yeah. yeah. There's a reason why so many people look to this show for guidance, for inspiration, because there really was nowhere else where this was happening.
2: Sugar said the more material I would pitch about Ruby and Sapphire and their romantic relationship the more visible the ceiling of what we could do to be what we could do became and it really made me realize how critical it was to have LGBTQIA characters in G-rated media. I began to realize how quiet I had been about my own story and my own life because I had internalized the idea that there was something adult about these stories and there isn't. These themes were a part of my childhood. And And they were a part of the childhoods of many people on my staff. There is nothing more adult about Ruby and Sapphire than any other couple on the show. So I became very driven to make sure that we could tell the most wholesome love story you've ever seen on television.
3: This is how dedicated she was to this cause because I think this is a brilliant thing. In the episode, throughout the series, it's very telegraphed that Uh, Ruby is a more masculine presenting entity and Sapphire is the more effeminate one. Uh But at the wedding, they specifically put Sapphire in a suit and Ruby in a full wedding dress specifically because in the countries that were uh, censoring the show and trying to minimize the gay aspects of the show, they had used a male voice actor for Ruby to make them Ah. seem more like a straight couple. And so by... Intentionally putting Ruby in a wedding dress, there was no way around this because here you amazing. had the girly one with a bow in her hair, and the other one now in a full wedding dress. Like you couldn't like dance around it.
2: Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's just like completely normalized and beautiful in the show in this really inspiring way. I just absolutely love the way that they handle all of the anything gender related, queer related, anything. It's just fantastic. Um, so uh, yeah, after Steven Universe Future. Rebecca and team were exhausted, done with the series for now. She did have this to say about it, possibly continuing in some form or fashion. I'm certainly interested in spending more time in this world with these characters, but the thing about Steven Universe, it's about Steven Universe, and I want to give him the time to heal. I want to give that to my team as well. So I'm not really sure for certain what's going to happen in the future. I have a few ideas, but I'm going to take a little time to reevaluate everything before I jump into them. And that's all I got. Jake, you got anything else before we wrap this up?
3: Um, I just, you know, I hope we did a good enough job. Uh, There's the show itself was built for our current generation. There were extensive production blogs on Tumblr. The creators interacted with fans all the time. Um, That familiarity lent itself to uh, a very weird energy where, you know, like anything in the modern age that can be obsessible, obsessive fans would fight with each other, would kind of create all these weird little fandom wars but at this point everything from star wars to spider-man also has that so i guess it's still uh equity on there but this really was just the first time i recognized to and to an extent adventure time people of my generation getting to create the media for the next generation and it was thrilling to watch it evolve it's just it's kind of fascinating it's it's one of those things where like I wish I had the creativity and collaboration and work ethic to make something as profoundly enjoyable as this show.
2: Yeah, and as heartfelt as this show. It's just so wonderfully, deeply personal, and I just love it. And uh, yeah, there you go. That's our episode on Steven Universe. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you'd like to follow us further, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly bonus episodes for just $5 a month, and it really greatly helps us out. Helps keep the show going, helps us able to continue keeping our lives going while we do this show. Also, also, you can follow me on twitch.tv forward slash Ho. I am on there. I am streaming Monday, Tuesday, Friday night, almost every single week.
3: We are streaming, baby. Jake! Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And, uh, hey, all you people that said we should do a Steven Universe episode... You're welcome.
2: Yeah, we did it. We did it. Thank you, honestly. Thank you for making me watch all of this stuff because it was really (laughs) rewarding. And always remember, keep on whizzing.
0: And never stop bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.